so uh, I've got some folks who are going to help me out for a little bit the, this morning. So I think it's y'all and, and my son, Levi. You guys come on up. And uh, there's a couple of tables up here. And take a seat. And uh, there's, a, there's a, a puzzle there. And I'd like you guys to just kind of get to work on uh, building the puzzle. So anybody see The Martian? Anybody see that movie? Man, it was really, really good. Uh, really, really good. I, I had I'd read the book already and watched the movie and was thoroughly, thoroughly entertained. It's a science fiction kind of flick, and uh, Matt Damon star- stars in it. It's really, really, really well done. It's funny. It's got uh, great graphics, great visuals, great acting, won a bunch of awards. And yeah, it's the story of this guy who is on this manned mission to Mars and gets mistakenly left behind. And it is then his decision to essentially say, you know what, this is not going to be the end. And he says, I'm going to do my best to stay alive. And then there's an innovative mission that has to happen. There's kind of some Apollo 13 stuff in there. And the movie uh, is really, really well done. And it speaks to a couple a couple really, really important major human instincts, right? And that is, first of all, it's the instinct to stay alive. You know, he's laying there and he's faced with, a fat, with the idea that I have been left on a planet that is 140 million miles away with no hope of rescue, really, and no hope of being able to survive. And yet he says, you know what? I'm going to get to work. And it speaks to this drive that we have, basically, as human beings, to survive. To survive. To live. I think there's other basic instincts that we would have. We have a desire to avoid pain and to cultivate joy, to have a purpose, to, to essentially have meaning in our lives. But this thing for living, you could almost say is one of the most primal, important instincts that we have. Uh, if you have your Bible, I would, I would ask you to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 9. We're going to look at just a few verses this morning. So chapter 9 of Ecclesiastes starts this way, the teacher. So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands, but no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good, so it is with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. Now, if you don't know where he's going with this, He makes it more explicit in chapter 7, verses 1 or 2. He says it this way in in chapter 7. A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death is better than the day of birth. Talk about a gear shift. A good name 
is better than fine perfume. We're all on board with that part, right? Of course, everybody wants a good name, a good reputation. And then he sets you up for it like he does over and over again in Ecclesiastes. And he says, and the day of death is better than the day of birth. And then in chapter, verse 2, it is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. So if we can go back to chapter 9 for just a moment, let me kind of make explicit what he's getting at. He is essentially looking at it and he's saying, look, everything under the sun has the same fate. You could be all on board with every good spiritual Christian thing that you've ever done, or you could be just spinning off into crazy land. Same fate. You take oaths, you don't take oaths. Same fate. Good, bad, same fate. Clean, unclean, same fate. And that gets at this thing that we need to talk about that is always the biggest elephant in any room, and that is this thing called death. Death. Now, remember what, what the teacher says, that there's a reality that is under the sun. And over and over again, he says, under the sun, under the heavens, that is everything that is created. That is everything that we experience on this earth. And everything under the sun will die. Everything. And boy, you talk about something that we don't like to talk about. Happy Father's Day, everybody. Woohoo! And yet, and yet, I want to tell you what I think. I, want, I think that there is an amazing gift buried in these words this morning. Now, uh, you can look at your life as a puzzle. And I think what the teacher is kind of getting at is you can look at your life as a puzzle. Some of our puzzles are pretty simple. Some of our lives are pretty simple. Some of our lives are pretty complex. Some of your pieces may be really, really big and easy to assemble. Some of your pieces may be very, very small, and you're struggling to find the connecting piece, and you're looking for the piece that, you know, the piece that lines up on the edge. So you can say, man, where, what's going on in my life, in my puzzle right now? You know, maybe you're at a place where you are just jamming and you're putting the piece after piece after piece after piece into your puzzle, into your life. Or maybe you're at a place where you're like, man, I don't know where I'm at. I can't find the corner. I can't find the spot. But the reality that we need to embrace and remember this morning is that no matter where you are in your puzzle, that there will come a time when all the pieces, why would I do that? Stick around, you'll find out. <laughs> when all the pieces go back in the box. And maybe you got a really good start on your puzzle. Maybe you've been working on it for a while. Maybe you've got a little bit more of your puzzle put together than the other people in your block. And you might try to protect your puzzle. 
But the reality that we all embrace is that sometime or another, all the pieces go back in the box. We can't avoid it. We can't avoid it. Thank you guys, both of you guys. The pieces... <laughs> the pieces go back in the box. And try as we might to not think about it, not thinking about it doesn't make it not real. Anybody know uh, who this gentleman is, this picture that we have? Who is it? Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash, an American icon, right? Um, he had a life, um, beautiful recording life, you know, uh, just lived his life very, very boldly. At the very, very end uh, of his life, he made a series of recordings with a guy named Rick Rubin, a, a producer who had done hip-hop recordings, heavy metal recordings, and Rick Rubin challenged Cash to, to record a, a wide variety of music at the very end of his life. One of the songs that Cash, that Reuben had Cash record was actually a song by the band Nine Inch Nails, a song called Hurt. And uh, the, the version that, that Nine Inch Nails did you know, was on a, on a record. It was fairly well known. Reuben took it to Cash and, and he said, I want you to record this. And uh, the, actually the word got back to Trent Reznor, the, the writer of the song, the singer for Nine Inch Nails. And Nine Inch Nails is like an industrial heavy metal band, for those of you guys that have no context for this. And Reznor was like, I'm not too sure about this. Well, the song came out and it was a compelling, a compelling recasting of the song. But what I actually want to show you this morning is the video. And so we're going to roll a little bit of the video, and then I'm going to talk about how the video came about. So just go ahead and start this. I hurt myself today to see if I still feel I focus on the pain The only thing that's real The needle tears a hole The old familiar sting Try to kill it all away but I remember everything What have I become? My sweetest friend So when the guy who was going to direct the video cast the vision for the video, he said that what he wanted to do was highlight Cash's frailty. And if you watch the video, you see the juxtaposition between a young Cash 
and he's even singing, what have I become? And you see the age. You see how he's not the same anymore. There's a scene in the video where even Cash is pouring out a glass of wine on a table, and he's visibly shaking. There's a frailty and a fragility to the video that is really, really hard-hitting because it highlights the fact that life goes on, we age, and in just a little time after this video is recorded, Cash passes away. And there's a power in that, even when it makes us uncomfortable. The director just said, I want to show, I want to show what it looks like to confront and look death Right in the eye, essentially. Thanks a lot. So, this brings us, as I said, to this idea of life and death. Life and death. Everybody in this room, as best I can tell, is alive. Some of you, I wonder sometimes as I'm looking at you. But most of us, we would say, yeah, man, I'm here, I'm here, I'm alive. But the thing that is waiting for us all sometime, is death, is death. It will come up that we will go to the house of mourning sometime under the sun. So I was exploring different realities uh, this week, and one of the ways I would put this is really a simple equation. We have uh, life, and then we have death. There is a life we have before death, life before death, death after life. We live for a while, and then death comes for us. And this, you just saw a taste of it, even when you're just dealing with puzzles. The, the things and the questions that it raises up for us. <laughs> Why would you do this? That's what Levi asked me. Why why would you do this, God? Why would you do this? You know? Uh, you saw Paige over here, and like, and instantly, the hands go around the puzzle pieces. So that maybe if I build a wall here, that I can keep my pieces from going back in the box. But you can't, can you? You know? The ultimate reality causes fear, anxiety, despair. Sorrow, that is part of the human condition because why? We are engineered for life. We do life naturally, and yet our reality can look like this. But what if there's another way? What if there's another way that's buried in the text and buried in, or I would actually say, it's not buried in the faith life, the spiritual life. It's actually the deepest truth of the spiritual life. And, and before I go on, I, wanna, I actually want to pause here because I want to tell you uh, that when I speak this morning, this is very real to me because I just got a phone call Friday morning from a very dear friend who said, my wife has just been diagnosed. They have found a tumor. It's not benign. So I want you to hear 
very clearly, this is not out there for me. This is here for me this morning. But what if, what if there is something beyond this reality? What if? Um, Here's the way I would put it. What if there is actually a death before death that leads to life? What if there's another reality besides life before death, death after life? What if, what if, what if? So, one of my favorite authors and, and, and just teachers and, and mentors for me is a guy named Richard Rohr. He wrote a book about male spirituality. And he says there are five realities that men in particular need to address in their lives. And I've shared this, I think, before on a Sunday, but I'm going to run them down again because they are so poignant and they just speak to this reality. The first reality says that a guy particularly, guys particularly, but I'm not excluding 50%, of the room, everybody has to encounter this, but men particularly have struggled with this. Life is hard. Life is hard. It should be. If you never encounter difficulty in your life, I would actually say, have you lived yet? But there's a, there is something about it that if you haven't encountered this yet, the first thing you're like, I didn't want life to be hard. Surprise! The second reality that he says you have to encounter and deal with eventually in your life is the reality that you are not that important. The universe does not revolve around you. You have to come to terms with this. You can do great things. You can achieve. You can stretch yourself But the ultimate reality is, guess what? You are part of a bigger story. The third reality is your life is not about you. It is about what you bring to the people around you. It is about the gift and the service that you can provide for people. The fourth reality is you are not in control You're not. You can think that you are. But I would imagine there's a lot of people in this room that says, I have come up against A, B, C, D that told me, guess what? There are forces in the world that I cannot control. Whether it's another human being or whether it is a hurricane or whether it is a a decision in the, or an economy that, that dips that I can't control, and then the fifth reality is you are going to die. And he says, essentially, this is heavy stuff, but he says, essentially, that if if you cannot come to terms with some part of this in your life, you will simply become and remain an ego-centered, self-centered individual. My life is easy. I avoid challenge. I am that important. Think about just the opposites. My life is about me. I am in control, and I am not going to die. Does that sound like a way of living? Well, sure, if, it, if you choose pathology, you always have that option. 
But essentially, Richard Rohr would say, this is something called initiation into humanity. And that means that coming to terms with the death is actually really, really important for transitioning to a healthy view of what the world actually looks like. And if you never make that change, you will actually be limited in how you deal with the world. Jesus says it this way in John chapter 12. He says, Very truly I tell you that unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and what? Dies. It remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be, and my Father will honor the one who serves me. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, If it does, it produces many seeds. And then he says, reminder, anyone who wants to lose your life, you'll save it. If you want to save it, if you want to hold on to the control, I am that important. I am in control. Jesus says, you're missing a wonderful opportunity that looks a little bit like the death before death. It's about surrender. It's about being willing to say there's something bigger in the universe and I can trust that thing. And when you can, you'll see many seeds start to grow up. It's not just our our physical life. Anything that you're holding on to, if you surrender it, the promise is that there's a pattern to the world. Surrender it, let it go, and watch it grow and multiply. Let me show you a picture of a guy named Kevin Kelly. Kevin Kelly started the magazine Wired. Everybody ever heard of Wired? It's kind of a technology, futuristic magazine. Still going on today. He founded it in 1993. Now, he has a really interesting journey that I heard about this week. When he was 27 years old, he traveled the world as a photographer and just got to experience all manner of life, shooting, uh, shooting different, just different glimpses of life, particularly in Asia. And when he was 27, he ended up uh, in Jerusalem on Easter. And he was not a, a person of faith. He, was, he would probably call himself a seeker, fascinated with religion, but not really claiming any sort of specific faith. And he said, on Easter evening, He said, I actually wandered around the city too much, and I found myself locked out of my um, hostel. And this was uh, was a while ago. This was, I don't even know that, I think in the 70s. So it was before Airbnb, before, you know, grabbing your smartphone and finding another hotel. Essentially, he had no place to stay. He could not find a place to, to sleep. So he just wandered the old town of Jerusalem But you know what stays open, or what stayed open, were the churches. So he found himself in the church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is 
traditionally understood as the, the site of Jesus' crucifixion. So he wandered in, and eventually everybody wandered out, and he laid down actually on the spot where they say the cross was, and he slept. And then he said, I woke up when people wandered in. I got up. It was Easter morning. And then he said, I knew there was something going on outside the city. So he said, I wandered out. And it was essentially a sunrise Easter gathering. And he said, he sat down in some chairs that were, were arranged for him. And he said, as the sun come up, came up, I knew two things. He said, first, I knew. He said, I couldn't even explain it how. He said, I knew that the resurrection was real. He said, the moment the sun came over the horizon, he said, I knew it, the deepest part of my soul, that the resurrection of Jesus was real. And then he said, the second thing I heard was, live your life like you have six months to live. Live your life like you have six months left. So that's what he did. He came back to the States he, uh, I don't know what, what, what was triggered in him on that six-month vision thing, but he decided to ride his bike from coast to coast. He rode his bike to, from coast to coast, but it wasn't a direct coast to coast. It was like he started in California. He went down to Texas. Like he took the longest possible route and then back up. And then life went on. But that image of living your life like you have an expiration date, it stayed with him. And so um, he has something on his computer called the death clock. And I have a screenshot. This was from years ago. So at the time that this was taken, he had 8,500 days left to live. And you can go to websites or you can just go to an actuarial table and they can tell you, because the insurance companies know, look, here's who I am. I'm a man. I'm this, I'm this old I have these characteristics, and they can tell you with astonishingly, depressingly accurate clarity of when you will leave this planet. And he keeps that on his computer, and it just ticks down. And he knows, and he knows, and he knows. Psalm 90, verse 12, actually says, uh, it's a prayer that says, God, teach us to number our days so that we can gain a heart of wisdom. Most of us don't think that way, do we? Most of us think that like life just kind of goes on and, it, and it, just, it disappears into an apex that's somewhere out there. But our lives have a hard stop. Teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Not teach us to number our days so that we can freak out. Don't teach us to number our days so that we can go get a, another boat or, uh, or add on to the house. Don't teach us to number our days so that I can inflict as much damage or accumulate as much stuff as I can before that heart stop, teach us to number our days so that we gain a heart of wisdom. A heart of wisdom in the Bible is clarity on how to live. So somehow, if you do this thing right, awareness of that ultimate reality can actually bring insight into how you should spend your days right 
that, my friends, feels like a gift to me. Now, it's not a gift that all of us like to think about, but it's a gift nonetheless. So what I want to do is actually I want to show you another video of somebody in our community right here, right now, that knows and has encountered that hard stop. And I want to show you how they're living out that Psalm 90 thing. Teach us to number our days so that we gain a heart of wisdom. Watch this. Darren Allen. I'm Vicki Allen. And we've been coming to E3 a little over a year. It's our home church. We we really found a family here. We we love the people in our growth group. We love the people at this church. It's such a, an incredibly real church. I guess it was it 2010? Mm-hmm. 2010, seven years ago. Um, I went in for like a routine surgery. Um, Vicki and I went in together and uh, just we were we were kind of sitting back in the waiting room. They had us in a hospital room, but it just seemed to be taking forever for them to get started. It was one of those uh, moments where everything changes on a dime. You know, the doctor comes in and says, "I'm sorry, we can't do the surgery today. Um, we we looked at your blood, and you have leukemia. You have cancer. You know." So, and with that, I was like, uh, "Just wait here till the oncologist makes his rounds." He said, "Good news, Mr. Allen." Um, we think you have five years to live. That's great, you know. And um, I was, <laughs> our first thought was, your definition of what good news is is different than what our definition of good news is. We first came home, we first had the news. It was such an intense effect on our family that um, Vicki and I, we th- there was probably a week where we didn't go to a different room without the other one. Like we held hands walking from room to room. Um, it, it certainly burned away everything that was vapor. It, 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 uh, it just the, the small moments that would have been considered routine or boring before, like um, putting Aiden into bed, the, that nightly routine became so intensely important and so just intense. Having one of the most important things for me was just an awareness of my own mortality. Um, one of my friends early on said, well, the only thing the doctor told you is you're going to die someday. You knew that. And I was like, no, I didn't. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is news to me. It's just funny, you know, just like everybody else, we get annoyed in traffic and things like that. None of that. Just, you know. Just happy to be here. Happy to be <laughs> here. You know, the basic stuff. Once you realize how much those things are important to you, all that other stuff just... Yeah. disappears and there's things like that I would be annoyed you know we're married you know little annoyances I didn't want to burden him you know I'm like he's got cancer maybe I should just lay off yeah. that little annoying thing right now yeah. um so I mean, that's, it's a little thing but it's funny how you put some of those aside for a while and you're like yeah maybe they weren't such a big deal after all probably the most important thing spiritually and um, family-wise was how it brought the family even closer together, how it brought Vicki and I even closer together. The intensity of just, the intensity of understanding what matters. It didn't magically fix 
every problem that Vicky and I had, we still had issues that we right. worked through, you know, and and uh, we're really proud of that as well. But it it uh, it, it it definitely had a crystallizing um, effect on our lives. There were times where I was like, nope, not getting any work done today. I can't think of anything else. This is so overwhelming. And I would just spend the day praying. I mean, I spent a lot of time during this time on my knees. Um, and, and, and I say that because I, my relationship with God grew very intense during this time. I, I really do believe that um, th there was a lot more just communion with God. There, there was just the, the feeling of, the, of um, the presence of the Holy Spirit um, around, uh, I felt like that was a time of just um, intense uh, prayer and connection with God. I think about it now, and there's times where I'm like, how did I even live through that? If this right. little thing is messing me up, you know, I was just going about my business and taking care of him and Aiden, you know, and it was weighing on me, but I, I don't know how I managed through it must have been God one of the first things that we learned is that this didn't rattle God this wasn't a surprise to God we were in God's hands and there were so many things he did during that time to let us know like this doesn't surprise me you're in my hands um, one of the things that I was proud of is my doctor would call me to have me speak to people that were just diagnosed and fearful and so I felt like wow um, that that concept or that that feeling that um, God was taking what was meant for bad and turning it in for good, you know, that, that I was able to use it as a, as a ministry thing. This is not a death sentence. It's a wake-up call. You know, and you're like, oh, man, that's exactly right. Because we were just kind of, mm -hmm, you know, just skating through life, yeah. kind of half-heartedly going to church. You know, we've got our kid. We're just, you know, just doing the American thing. And then, oh, it crystallizes what's really important right. and what we want to pass on, you know, to Amy. It became real at that point. Right. Death does not have to be, counterintuitively, a death sentence. It can be a wake-up call. Darren said it burned away everything that was vapor. Teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You see, we started with this reality that the world tells us that uh, we simply live in the reality of we live, then we die. Life before death, death after life. The reality is actually that there is a death if you are willing to surrender and you are willing to Gain that clarity, there is a death that comes before death that actually lives, actually leads to life. It actually leads to life. One of the most beautiful scenes uh, in the Lord of the Rings is uh, this scene where uh, this character is talking to Gandalf and they're looking at a battle that they're not going to get out of. And so uh, one character said, you know, I never thought that it would end this way. And, and Gandalf replies, you know, essentially, what, in what way? Death? And he says, no. Death is just another path, one that we all must take. 
And the gray rain curtain of this world rolls back and all is silver glass. And then you see it. And then the character says, what? And Gandalf says, the white shore and a far green country under a swift sunrise. And then the character says, well, that doesn't sound so bad. And Gandalf says, it's not. But here's the deal. What if you don't have to wait until your physical death to see the curtain roll back? What if by just understanding that one day we will cease to breathe and God teach us a heart of wisdom and we see the rain curtain roll back now and everything matters. Remember, vapor is not meaningless. It is passing. It can blow away. But you can live in such a way that you make the most of this moment with these people, with this life, with these gifts. And that, my friends, is life that comes after death and just goes on and on and on. Here in the church, we call it eternal life. But eternal life doesn't start when you die. It can start right now. Now I want to speak as we close just a moment. I want to take a moment and say uh, that I understand that maybe this is more real for some of us in this room than others. That maybe you're like my friend and you have a diagnosis and so this is not just abstract stuff. Well, let me tell you, life is good. To be human is to crave life, and you fight. As Matt Damon said in The Martian, yes, you science the out of it. And you do what it takes to be alive, because to be alive is to be human. But if there comes a moment when the puzzle pieces really are going to go back in the box, there is a deeper reality that you can trust. That there is somebody else in control and that our lives, though we physically have a hard stop, they go on. They go on because of God's love. And you can say, even in those moments where you might be facing the ultimate reality right in the face, that you can say, I'm okay. I'm safe. It's well. It is well. It is well with my soul.